stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Welcome to the Brave Maker Podcast. This is episode 20. I am Rebecca Amosa. And I'm Tony Gapastone. And today we have our conversation with Irving. Irving Ruan. Yes. Irving Ruan. And he is, did we talk about, I think we talked about correspondence with John Fusco. Yeah, so John so. is our correspondent and Irving is going to be mm. joining us as a correspondent. Irving has a lot of creative people in his life too. You'll get to hear a little bit about his story. He's an actor and a writer and an engineer, which is <laughs> kind of a super fun con- con- combination, which one of the things I wished I had asked him as I was editing and you'll hear him get into this, is he came from a Chinese family and his background was both parents not in the arts and they sort of had this expectation that he would go into the same, you know, linear path that they had. But he kind of diverted a little bit and wanted to do acting and writing. But I wanted to ask him how he handled that. So we'll have to ask him to do that on another podcast in the future. Because I think that's a big deal is how you deal with the expectations of family or others or anybody with authority in your life, you know? Yeah, especially, actually, I have a similar story. There is um, this guy who does murals at Facebook, like chalk murals. Uh And he has a Facebook page where you can follow him. And on, at the different campuses, he does this just like outstanding. I'll have to show you after. They're just like so realistic. I think his, I can't remember exactly his name, but maybe we'll link it if I remember. Yeah. But um, one day, I would, Roberto and I were just admiring this artwork. We didn't know who did it. And um, a guy comes up, and he's like, oh, do you like this? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, this is me. Oh, we're cool. like, what? Good thing you liked it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, they're just amazing. Hodor Lee. That's what his name is on Instagram. Oh, because Hodor. he likes Game of Thrones. He That's did a lot right. of Game of Thrones stuff. Yeah. He's on the Hodor. Joker. Yeah. Yeah. But he said the same thing. And I said, well, I was telling him about Brave Maker right yeah. away. At that time, Creative Crew, because Creative Crew was going. Yeah. And I was like, you know, you're here full of engineers. He's an engineer. You know, what got you into this? And he said that his parents didn't want him to go into a creative aspect. Mm. So this is the way that he can express himself. And mm. he's like so talented. Mm. So it does seem to be a big thing. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I didn't ex- like have that growing up. My parents weren't, you know, either or. They kind of just wanted me to be happy and not maybe not suffer financially because we didn't come from major wealth or affluence. Both my parents, you know, had jobs that provided, but it wasn't like we, you know, had all this expendable income. They were just like, you know, get it. They wanted me to go to college. They mm-hmm. did. They felt like that was a big thing. Both my, my dad did not go to college and my mom graduated like in her fifties. She went to college oh, way later. So at the time, her. yeah, it was just like, you know, do what we didn't do and make something good of your life. And you know, but, but there, what it was, it was no pressure. I didn't feel like any pressure. So I felt the freedom. And now, like, as I raise my kids, I'm like, go to the arts. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same experience as you, though. My parents yeah. were either or, you know, as long as yeah. I was happy and yeah. they knew I'd be successful if I put my heart into it. So. Yeah. But not everybody has that. It's interesting to hear how people right. get through that. 
right? So you'll all, you'll enjoy Irving's story. He's a funny guy. I, I love him as a person and as a creative. And you'll have some of his links in the show notes. We were refer to his writing. So go follow him on Insta and keep a, a watch out for all the funny things that he's writing on the interwebs. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget to make sure you're marking your calendar. We have these two upcoming events on September 12th in Redwood City and October 16th in Redwood City. And we also have screenings in Novato uh, for the same films, which you can, you know, if you fi- follow me on Facebook, Facebook, you can find all those things too. And yeah, anything else people should know about Rebecca besides the fact that we just you just rearranged the whole office or you're in the process of I'm in the middle of it. I just <laughs> we needed to, you know, go through some things and just start having a more working we're getting excited about doing some painting yeah mural work and just having a really cool space here and now that yeah. we can decorate it so. yeah if anybody's a painter out there we would like someone to paint our office and lighten it up because it's right now it's a very dark brown and we have orange carpeting so <laughs> we need some help and if anyone wants to donate like flooring carpeting <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of grungy uh, and with that, too, our email is podcast at bravemaker.com, or you can email us at our names at bravemaker.com. But if you would like to connect with us in any way or have comments or feedback, we definitely welcome that. And just be on the lookout. We're going to be putting out some dates for fall 2019. I'm trying to get some filmmaker groups started or some writing groups. So if you are trying to write a script, you want some help, development, and some coaching, I'm going to be putting out a few dates for like a small group of, you know, five to to 10 filmmakers who want to make some stuff. So be on the lookout for that. And with that, cool. Enjoy. I want to be on that. Yes, you will. Enjoy Irving Ruan. Bye. Bye. Brave stories change the world. You are the story. Hey, hey, everybody. Tony Gapastone here. I'm in the Brave Maker Studios podcasting with my friend Irving Ruan. Irving. How's it going, Tony? What up, dude? You're here. I finally. Know. So we've been talking about this for a year. Yeah, it's. it feels like it's been a lot longer, but yeah, definitely. Dude. Okay, so, so Irving is many, many things. He's a writer. He's an actor. He's a comedian. We're going to jump into that. Uh, he's most importantly someone who brought me coffee to, today. <laughs> He got me a uh, very frou-frou coffee, and he guessed right. I don't like regular milk. Got me a soy. Got me a little blonde vanilla something-something in here. Just sweet and frou-frou. Yeah, you know, that's how I feel about you. You're a sweet guy, and I feel a <laughs> coffee should capture that. Irving, you're awesome. All right, so let's jump into this. First of all, how did we meet? Yeah, I, I, th- I think it was a few years ago. We met through a mutual friend. Carrie. That's right. Carrie Kelly. And that was when I was really getting into writing and Carrie Mm -hmm. thought about you and he thought, oh, you should get to know Tony. That's right. And he introduced us. And then you came to a creative crew or two, I believe, Mm -hmm. and you shared a time or two there as well. You were doing some stand-up stuff and some other stuff. So like, just jump in, tell tell our podcast listeners your story of brave making. Yeah. So... When I started writing a bit more than two years ago, it was at a time when I wanted to really try out something, I guess, creative. And one of the things about me is that my day job is in engineering, and I studied science and engineering growing up and in college, and I'd always had this inkling of wanting to do something different, but I never had the courage, really, to do it, just because it wasn't 
encouraged in my family and upbringing. And I figured, you know, why do I keep on waiting? Who do I need permission from? And so I just started doing it on my own. And it was one of those things where things started clicking. I was having a lot of fun. And I just trusted that feeling. You know, I had no intent of having specific goals. It was just, this is pure. This is fun. Let's just follow that feeling. And I continued with it. And I started writing. And I guess since sticking with it, Carrie saw, you know, our mutual friend that, hey, you know, he's getting more into it. You should meet Tony. And I yeah. guess that's how we met through that. Yeah, that's so fun, dude. I, want, I, I just remembered when we went to, we went to an open mic night, right? It was super random, right? It was like right after a creative crew and the Dragon Theater, which is this local theater in Redwood City, was having an open mic night of sorts. I'm going to attempt to remember the name. I think it was called like Enter the Dragon at Dragon Theater. And they had it, they have it once a month, I believe. So, you know, go see them, go to their website. I'll try to put a link in the show notes for that. And we went just as spectators, but then lo and behold, <laughs> Irving signs up and all of a sudden he's up there doing a little stand-up routine. I remember it was hilarious. I think I got it on video. And I remember like you had said like that, was that the, not the first time, but you felt like you weren't identifying as an actor or something like that was an event that really did something to you. Do you remember? I'm trying to yeah. remember what that was about. Yeah, totally. I, I remember that was, that was a very fun night. And yeah, I think like you said, I had no intention of going up there to perform anything. And so it was one of those things where I had always struggled with identifying as a creative profession. I, I don't know why it was just this mental hurdle. And I remember, mm. you know, getting to know you, you had always been so encouraging of, you know, own that. And I was always afraid to for some reason. And I think that night I had never done it in a public venue. And so because I didn't really have any material prepared. You I didn't just do wanted... it? That was your first time? Yeah. So that night I didn't have any material prepared. So I just went up and just started riffing, just talking with oh the audience gosh, and whatever dude. came to mind. And I decided to focus in on that because I figured, That's you cool. know, let's just button this up. Right. Tony's here. He was the one who kept on encouraging me. That's awesome. How can I make this somewhat entertaining? And so I went in with that and I was like, you know what? I think I can own this label. Yeah. You did. Dude. I remember you, you talked about dating, I think, if I remember. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I guess I always do. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> That's your thing. We'll get into that, too. I love it. All right. Well, let's back up because you talked about growing up in remember, in an environment that maybe didn't encourage your creative passions. Uh, what was that about? Yeah. So for additional context, my mom, she's a scientist. My dad's an engineer. So in that environment, it was where, you know, being from a STEM-centric family, it was mm. almost inevitable that I would go into a field like that. Yeah. And Do you so, feel some sort of pressure? Absolutely. Said yeah. or not said, maybe? Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely <laughs> said, for sure. <laughs> uh -huh. So that was one of those things I just accepted as dogma growing up, but I'd always retained interest in the arts. I'm going to fix this a little bit. There we go. So how's that? Okay, better? Okay, go ahead. I fixed this mic. There you go. I was getting way too uh, hot, attached. Hot. <laughs> I was getting too attached to my microphone. Speaking of dating, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I had always retained uh, a strong sense of interest in yeah. the arts. I remember just growing up as the only child, I would always watch movies and TV, get lost in books, and spend whole weekends at Barnes & Noble just immersed in fantasy. So that was always very active, but I never had an outlet. I never believed I deserved an mm. outlet to mm -hmm. do that, but that had always been simmering in my unconscious. Mm. And so it was like one of those things where, yeah, I had sort of the science and math, but mm. my heart was always seeking something more. Mm -hmm. Where'd you grow up again? 
in San Diego for the second half, and then for the first half, I lived in Montana, and I was born and raised in China. Yeah, so born and raised in China, two very, very smarty pants, mom and dad, which I, t- I always appreciate scientists and engineers. I always probably feel intimidated, but I never grew up with a influence, a heavy influence that that would be part of my life. So that's always an interesting story and almost almost a stereotypical story, would you say? Like you hear a yeah. lot of creative people talk about living under the shadow of a mom and dad. Right, right, definitely. And it wasn't one of those things where I think, you know, it was bad to go into science engineering. I, I mean, I enjoyed it, but, it, you know, I think people in general are so multidimensional, so yeah. uh, rich with experience and stories. It almost feels in some ways, a tragedy if we don't ever have the opportunity to explore all those different sides. Even if you do it, you know, as a career where you're not in something quote-unquote creative, but at least give yourself the chance to, right? So you ended up going into the STEM world. You work at Box, which is in Redwood City. It's one of a kind of a pillar uh, in the Silicon Valley community here. So I guess talk about when did you finally break through that? What what took you to that place of recognizing you could be as nuanced as someone who is an engineer who also wrote comedy or acted in that kind of way? Yeah, this was a very hard realization for me to break through. So much of it came from a lot of emotional pain I was feeling internally. I think just living for so long with this repressed emotion of these stories and these things I wanted to say but never feeling brave enough the dam eventually had to break and Mm -hmm. the water had to flood out. So I was in a lot of pain where I had no form to really communicate that. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it was driven by internal pain where I just needed Mm -hmm. to release that. Um, So that was kind of the emotional arc to it. And I think the tactical thing was I just needed to design a system, you know, thinking about, you know, through the lens of an engineer, I needed to design systems that allowed me Mm. to really try to give this a shot. Like, am I going to write every day? Or, like, am I just going to talk about writing instead of actually not, you know, writing, right? That's really cool. So you actually use some of the training and maybe natural skills as an engineer to funnel into producing and creating things that you wanted to make out of your life. That's really cool. I think we talk about that a lot on this podcast is we're, as creative people, I believe, all, by the way, all of us are creative people in some way. Uh, we don't always give into it, as you said in your own story. But I think one of the things that we could get better at as creative people is literally putting down deadlines for ourselves and putting routines in place. Because we can talk and we can dream, but the reality is like, you've got to make your own dreams come true. So, uh, remind me, you're in your 30s, right? Are you still 20 something? I am not that close to death, you, Tony. <laughs> you are, how old are you? I'm 28. Oh my gosh, dude, you're so young. I I envy, I envy the 20s. As someone in their 40s, I go, wow, dude, like my, tw- I loved my 20s. I love my 20s. But here I am in my 40s, still trying to make it come, like my creative, you know, dreams come to life. It takes work. So good on you, dude, for getting it. Thank you. Like in your 20s. So at 28, now you've, first of all, this guy's got articles and stuff happening in the New York, the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. New York Times? New York, I haven't broken into the New York okay, Times yet. The yeah. New Yorker, Huffington Post as well, right? I have not written for the Huffington Post. Where no. else? <laughs> Let's clarify <laughs> what you have written for. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a few places. Uh, the New Yorker, Shots and Murmurs. Uh, I've written for College Humor, um, Funny or Die, uh, McSweeney's, uh, and a few other publications. So amazing. So that's a big deal, being in your 20s and having your work be on these like, major publications. Uh, you can check the show notes. We'll link some of those things in there as well as other ways you can find Irving. But so, okay, when 
when did it happen? When did you break through some of this pain and start writing about the pain? Because that's kind of the theme of a lot of your work is feeling on the outside. I love that you elevate your awkward. You elevate the challenges of dating, the of challenges of being an Asian American and what that looks like in culture. Talk about how that all happened. Yeah, I think, you know, initially when I started writing comedy, a lot of it was just kind of stupid Silicon Valley observations just because that's my world, you know, uh-huh. how venture capitalists talk and engineers and so forth. But then as I started, you know, uh, getting much deeper into what I was truly feeling, it became very apparent that I was seeing a lack of, for example, representation, right, of Asian Americans in film. And I wanted to find a way to communicate how I was feeling through comedy, which I've never really done through a satirical lens. And I knew that writing, for example, a serious first-person essay was not my forte. Like, I can't write a first-person essay about that experience to save my own life. So Mm -hmm. I started trying to find other pieces out there that captured, really, the satirical voice I wanted, right? So just for an example... There was this one piece I wrote for McSweeney's. It was called Everything You Wanted to Know About Me, the Asian American uh, lead in a Hollywood romance that you're not falling in love with. Mm. And it was interesting when I wrote that because it followed another piece that was really similar to that format. So I used that format as a template. And then I just basically wrote how I observed Hollywood treats Asian Americans or how mm. they view Asian Americans. And it was one of those things where I had a lot of fun writing. But in many ways, it was a little bit painful to see. That was how it was. Um, so yeah, I kind of started studying other pieces out there to reverse engineer. How do they do it? Right. What are jokes they've used? How do they approach it? Was it nuanced? Was it, you know, this or that? And so I think in many ways where a lot of, for example, screenwriters, they'll probably study scripts, right? They'll, they'll watch movies. They'll really try to rewatch scenes to understand what are the basic principles and reverse engineering. And that's what I did with my writing. Again, using your engineering, which is really cool. I listen to a lot of other podcasts too with comedians and I've noticed, a trend in a lot of people who go into comedy is they become comedians and they recognize at a young age that they can take their pain or the things that other people could potentially use against them to make people laugh. So, right, they, you know, I've heard many, many times the, the, the class clown is usually the person who doesn't want to get beat up. And so they try to make other people laugh. I think that's really fascinating. It sounds like that's some of your story too, is how do you take the painful things of life in the ways that you could easily censor yourself or give in to fears, which is a theme of our podcast, and you've taken them to make something you've bravely pioneered a way in to the creative life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. And I would also just add, I have always wanted to be seen growing up. I think that's a very human emotion, Mm. this need to feel seen. And I just felt personally, you know, through Mm. writing, I can help make others feel seen. If it's just a little bit, if I have just made one person feel seen, that's that's success. That's cool. To me. Even in comedy, that's neat that you're thinking like that. Yeah, and so much of it, again, it was driven by this internal pain. You know, what prompted me to get into writing in many ways is a little bit different from what has re- made me stay in it, which is I'm you know encountering a lot of pain in this world. I think we're all going through our own pain and if there's any way we can transmute that into joy, cool. you know, I think that's a pretty cool job I get to do. I love that. So talk about that in regards to representation. You know, as an Asian American, you are noticing some trends. 
we were talking off podcast about like things that we're seeing in, in Hollywood and movies that are coming out and Asian representation is a big deal, which weirdly happened through uh, Crazy Rich Asians. I'd also say sadly, it's kind of weird. Like that's, it's kind of sad. I mean, talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I think we're really living through this renaissance or I don't even want to say renaissance because that implies a rebirth of some kind, but Mm -hmm. it's really just a new birth of all these stories that were never really told because Hollywood had always been focused, you know, on the stereotypical white savior figure. And now, sorry, (laughs) sorry, apology accepted. (laughs) Uh, No, but I think it's such a great time where not only are we seeing actors uh, being represented on film, but even directors, you know, leading those stories. And I think it's such a great time where we're seeing a diversity of stories, not even just from people of color, but, you know, LGBTQ uh, communities, Mm -hmm. all of that. um, I think it's such a great time to Mm -hmm. be in film right now, whatever, if you're a writer, producer, director, it doesn't matter. I think it's a great time. So I'm I'm glad that I'm alive at this Mm -hmm. day and age where I get to witness that and I get to be part of that where I'm really, uh, standing on the shoulders of other giants who have been charting this course for decades. So cool. Right? It's not just the overnight thing. It's been going on for years where they've been trying to lay down the building blocks. Yeah. It's sort of that age-old phrase that, you know, the overnight success takes 20 years. And to think about, like, we are living in this really cool space, but people have been working hard. And and there's been a lot of people who have dealt with rejection, which we should talk about. There's a lot of people who have been trying, 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 and they've been told no. And they've been having the door slammed in their face for years upon decades. And now we're finally seeing just a little small crack. There's a lot of work that has is yet to be done. There's still not a lot of Asian protagonists that we're seeing in films. And that's what's interesting. I think one of the reasons why I wanted to start Brave Maker is I recognized as someone in the majority culture, I was part of that problem, like my ignorance, like the fact that I didn't know this was a plight of many people, uh, the fact that I needed to learn. Like I need people of color, LGBT people. I need more women in spaces of leadership and influence in my life so that I could learn. So I think this is really cool if we're humble enough uh, to to learn and to have these stories wash over us that actually influence the stories that I want to tell now too, you know? Um, so going back to that rejection piece, uh, talk about what that looks like for your life. Obviously, you didn't just get on college humor or funny or die, you know, with the first time you submitted. What's that process been like? And what have you learned through the multiple no's that you've received? Yeah, and, and I'm glad you're, you're focusing on them because I feel like rejection uh, in the arts is often uh, not talked about. You know, mm-hmm. we see other people's success, but, you know, really it's, I think you had posted something a long time ago, I had, you had talked to me about it, but the whole iceberg theory, yeah, you know, it's like so that. much of it is underneath the water and yeah. the amount of work it takes just to be yeah. floating. Yeah. And for me, you know, in the beginning when I was writing, I was getting rejected everywhere. I mean, it was like just months of nonstop rejection, nothing really clicked. And I was so disheartened. You know, I was on the verge of giving up, but what kept me through it was just this love. I I don't know how else to explain it, Mm -hmm. but it was just, there was so much joy I was experiencing just by doing it that I didn't care how much rejection I was getting. So that's, that was the fuel that kept me going. And that's key. Yeah. And, you, and you had another job too. So you were doing this without the fear of like not paying your bills and stuff. Yeah. And I think that's a thing that's also important. I think in yep. the arts is that I'm, I'm sensing that a lot of people feel that they won't be a legitimate artist yep. unless they quit their job and yep. do it full time. And yep. I, I think while I can understand where they're coming from mm-hmm. in many ways, it, 
having a day job actually frees you up yeah. to take risks uh-huh. in your arts. And I think that's an under Agreed. undercaptured idea. But yeah, I was getting a lot of rejection. And I think it was one of those things where I got my first acceptance in this internet publication called McSweeney's and they specifically focus on internet satire. And that was when it was the first light that I may have a shot at doing this. Like it was just one acceptance, but that was more than enough for me to legitimize that, hey, you know, you might be somewhat okay at this. This is not the end of the world, obviously, but uh, just keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on pushing yourself. Keep on challenging yourself. And, you know, that's how I started building. So talk to the writer, the person who wants to get a article or a satirical piece published. What did you do? How did you find the the way to do it? What's the protocol? Yeah, so luckily I think we live in this time where a lot of these uh, publications in general, I mean, even just putting comedy aside, have a lot of clear and open instructions where you can um, s- send and, and pitch ideas and mm-hmm. the editors will typically read them. And so with the internet comedy sphere, uh, they have open submission inboxes where you can just submit your stuff and depending on the publication, it may take time, but they'll get back to you whether or not this works or not. So I think that's a great place for anyone to get started, which is anyone with a laptop and internet connection can do it. So amazing. So you literally just email this in you know, submissions at McSweeney's.com and here's my idea or you send the whole article or both sometimes. Yeah. So what something to keep in mind about the world of comedy writing for online versus uh, traditional journalism, for example, is that with journalism, you can usually just get by by just pitching the nutshell of the story and then the editor will sign off and then you write the whole piece. With comedy, you can't just say, hey, here's an idea about this guy who goes into, you know, used car shop mm-hmm. and then the guy throws eggs at his face. You know, like you, that, you, it has to all be in the execution. So you have to write the whole piece okay. and then they'll just review the entirety of it. Uh-huh. So going back to what you said before with all the rejection, you're just writing pieces because you want to write them. You get joy out of writing them and then you're sending them out to these publications and getting in or, get, or not, yeah? Absolutely. Okay, and how many did you, like when did you get your first acceptance and what did that look like after so many rejections? Yeah, it, so with that one, I remember dis- distinctly what happened. I remember I was, I started dancing in my apartment when I, <laughs> when I got the acceptance, but this was with McSweeney's and I had just sent so many and I was getting rejected and rejected. And it was one of those pieces where I got accepted and then I thought it was a joke. I didn't think this was a real thing because again, it was one of those things where I just never thought I could ever write comedy or anyone to ever find what I wrote was funny. Yeah. So it took me some time to get over that hurdle to understand, huh, I, I think I can do this somewhat, um, but it was just pure joy that somebody finally recognized, oh, I can I can do this. That's so cool, man. So talk about some of the things you love to write about. Let's hear more of the articles and things that you're dishing on. Yeah, I think recently um, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, and the, I forgot where I heard this from, but there was uh, this guy, I think named Michael Pollan, who writes about food, and he's a journalist. He's had a few New York Times bestsellers, and he says every writer has to deal with a central question. And he said for him, it's always been food, and now it's kind of like psychedelics. And he said somebody like Michael Lewis, who wrote like Moneyball or The Big Short, his central question as a writer has always been about mm-hmm the underdog in traditionally stacked games like in baseball or Wall Street. And then that made me wonder, you know, to your question, what has been my central question right now? And I don't think I'm old enough to ever answer that, but right now Mm -hmm. what I'm dealing with, my question is the nature of 
you know, our minds, like what are our insecurities? What are our anxieties? And so I've been really over-indexed on that particular thing where I've been thinking about what drives my insecurity, right? Mm -hmm. What drives my anxiety when I go to a housewarming party and I don't know anyone? How do I, how do I think about that, right? Like what I, what do I fear? Do I fear about, you know, uh, wanting to break into a really cool conversation I see? Like how do I, how do I navigate that? So I've been thinking about that and I start from those really real feelings I experience and then how do I, alchemize that into something comedic. Um, so one piece um, that I wrote recently for the New Yorker is called The Periodic Table of My Anxieties About Meeting New People. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, positioned in the frame of, I s- don't feel I'm comfortable meeting new people. I get a lot of anxiety, but how do I make that funny? And I use the periodic table of elements to capture all the basic elements. So one of them is, you know, I have a fear of when I meet someone new, I'm not going to have a strong handshake, (laughs) you know, or I meet someone I find really attractive. Like, do I shake their hand or do I hug them? You know, like these things run through my mind. And so that's what I think about. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So you also, anything else you want to say about writing before we move on to acting stuff? Yeah. I think just one, one other thing too, is it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, which is I feel like I can't be the only one feeling these feelings, right? Like if it was just unique to me, no way. Yeah. No one else could probably relate. But yeah. it reminds me of this quote: um, the German author, Nobel Prize-winning author Thomas Mann. I think he said that you know if it's happened to me, it's probably happened to others. And uh-huh. I think that's something I always say: okay, maybe I'm not alone in my feelings when I feel anxiety about these things. Why don't I give that a test drive? Write something, see if the editors will think that's relatable, and if they do maybe there's some stock to that. So I think having something get published out there is a validation of, I am certainly not alone in my feelings and other people may feel like that. And that's a really comforting thing in terms of, you know, being a writer and seeing your feelings that it it applies to others. Do you have any tips for being brave and going after your creative passions? Advice, yeah. Oh, gosh. I suck at giving advice because I feel like the advice that I would give comes from my context, and no one's had my context in the same way I haven't had other people's context. But I think just the hardest part is always starting, Mm -hmm. and I think it's just getting over that mental hurdle. There's this one story. I forgot which friend told me this, but apparently one of the final drafts of Star Wars A New Hope was uh, the working title was called The Legend of Luke Starkiller. Uh I think I heard this too. Yeah, Yeah. I forgot who told me this, but I thought, wow, um, if that is one of the initial drafts of that Star Wars, uh, and it goes to show, you know, that it's what you initially produce is never going to be the final copy. We are so precious about our stuff sometimes, way too precious. We don't want to put things out into the world because we're afraid of that failure thing. We're afraid that it's not ready. And the chances are it's not ready. But how are you going to know unless you put it out into the world? And that's the beautiful thing about rewriting and polishing. You can start somewhere and not have to end at the same place. So I think that's really good advice to just start it, yeah. make something happen. Right. Yeah. Do you follow Austin Kleon at all? He's got those books, Steal Like an Artist. and I love his stuff. Oh, yeah, so he's good. such good, n- nourishing, I think, wisdom that yep. all creatives, I think, would be great. Yeah, I mean, I think now that we talk about him, uh, he has a really great newsletter for anyone listening. Yes, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and he g- just dishes out a lot of great stuff. Yep, and it's weekly. We'll put that in the show notes, too. He's got a book called Steal Like an Artist, Show Your Work, and his newest one is called Keep Going. That's an unpaid advertisement right there. He did not (laughs) endorse it. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about your acting stuff, because you were in, are you still in your improv troupe? 
That I haven't done in a while. It's, okay. it's been a while, yeah. So when I first met Irving, you uh, you were doing improv. What was the name of the, the team you did? Comfort Zone. The Comfort Zone, okay. And I, I remember going, oh, like, this is how I work. When I meet people, I'm always trying to find ways to collaborate. Like, if I like you and I think you're talented, even if I don't think you're talented, I'm like, let's. if I like you, I'd rather work with someone I like that's not talented <laughs> than someone I don't like that's really talented. But I just thought, oh, I, I met Irving. I thought he was super friendly and fun. I'm like, I got to find a way to work with him. I knew he was in this improv group and he was doing, like, these live performance things. So, again, it took some time. I think it's been two years now since I've known you. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Maybe even three potentially. But I remember when I was working with my other job that we knew and we were talking and I thought, okay, cool. Someday I'll find a way to connect with Irving. And just about, I think it's been since January because we filmed this little short film in January and Irving played the boss man, the agent of this character called Andy, which we'll put this link in the show notes too. So again, this goes to like part of my journey is just sometimes I just, we, I have so many ideas and I wait for permission or in reality, I wait for money <laughs> to make things happen is I just thought I'm going to make an Instagram character. I'm going to make little short films, put them on Instagram. So we created this little guy called Andy who's super funny and Irving played the agent character. And he was in like three or four of the little shorts that we did on Instagram. And it was super fun. So you've got to go see, <laughs> you got to go see Rex playing the agent man in Andy with an I or on Instagram, Andy I Honey. But talk about, <laughs> you want to talk about that? You can. Yeah. Or, or your acting career. Whatever I, you want I, talk I would love to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for even having me. That was such a fun project to do. For me, that was, uh, that was a very, I, I don't think we talked too much about this, but it, it was a, it was a challenge for me because I was, uh, so I, just for context for people uh, listening, uh, it's about this, you know, actor who, you know, is new to town and he's trying to make it and I won't give too much away, but I play supposedly what he thinks is, you know, his agent, but well, <laughs> Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that... <laughs> but, uh, but he doesn't bring Andy on to be a, a talent that he's representing. He brings Andy on to be his assistant. <laughs> right, right. And so the, the comedy in, in that was just so fun to be a part of, but I felt as my character, I was not playing usually like the wild card kind of character. Yeah. So in going back into improv and some of the other sketches I've been in, sometimes I'll play like the wild card character, you know, the frenetic one. And I enjoy those roles, but I think in this particular one, playing the agent, you know, it, he was kind of contained, right? He was trying to, you know, understand like, what's this whole thing about? And he didn't, he wasn't wild. Like I think Rex's uh -huh. character, I like playing this part because it made me think about how do I play a normal person? A normal person, a normal Which guy. Used yeah, to. yeah. So that was that was a very great uh, exercise for me, and I think it was like one of those things where I don't think I have a lot of range at all as an actor, mm -hmm. but I think in terms of working in this role, it was a great to explore. Like, how do I? What What does it mean to be normal? Like, we're all normal yes. in some ways, but what does it mean to play normal? Right. So right, that right, was right. an interesting insight for me to try to, you know, wrap my head around. That's cool. Part of the reason I loved casting you in that, uh, just so you know, side note, that's loosely based on real events, loosely, very loosely in a totally different context in which I had someone working for me that didn't want to work for me, but oh, but had bigger aspirations for something way beyond. And I'd always be like, hey, could I get some work done? <laughs> so I don't know if you noticed, but I like to give people coffee. And that's part of the character. Is like, you played the really good guy. You were really a good guy. Yeah. In fact, you guys 
Breakmaker listeners, go watch this short film. Link is in the show notes. And you'll see like these little subtle jabs that I'm doing in the short film writing to communicate. Like, he's actually trying to be a really good boss. Yeah. Like, he's a good guy. So why are you giving him such a hard time? Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> so that was super fun to I do. I appreciate right? that contest. That was super fun. So, uh, so is acting out for you? Is it more just you know you're focused on the, on the writing process now? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where uh, we had a lot, talked a lot about this, you know, just uh, off this podcast. But you know, creating our own opportunities, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's good. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where I, I would love to continue doing acting and everything on the side, but. I feel like right now I still want to grow so much more as a yeah. writer. And I think that's the thing. I mean, if I had to pick these things that I really enjoy doing, I mean, it's, it's clear that I probably enjoy writing the most and that's where I want to yeah. focus, you know, my limited time right now with my day job and everything. So I'm just all in on that and just working towards getting better. And I think, you know, down the road, if I, feel like maybe there's some project I can help out with or something that would be suitable or it'd be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to continue doing that on the side in terms of acting. But yeah, right now I'm just very focused on writing, trying to mm-hmm. get better at that because I, you know, there's so much to learn and uh, that's where I really want to focus. That's good, man. Good for you. I picked this up too for our listeners that you've got to make your own opportunities. That's what you just said. We, we live in a day and a time when like there's so many resources out there, you can learn a craft without going to a craft school. You don't have to pay thousands upon hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to film school or wherever. You can become whatever you want to be with YouTube. So uh, I want to put that out there. If you're longing, you're listening to this podcast going, I want to be a writer. I want to be an actor. I want to do just like, oh, what, what's one way you can start? What's one thing you can do today to get yourself to that? Maybe if you want to be a writer, just write a paragraph about something you're interested in. If you want to be an actor, uh, go get a monologue book and start learning a two-minute monologue you know, from the library and start practicing these crafts. And I love that word practice, by the way, in everything. Everything's practice. Like, you know, you're practicing writing by writing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I think you captured such a critical point that I think when people are jumping into the creative arts for the first time, they might think that a class might be, you know, the best antidote or the best, you know, uh, solution. And I think it's important that people understand the reality of the arts is that it's a lifelong journey, right? No one class is going to solve it. I think the way I've always thought about it is that, you know, school educates you in the same way that Blue Apron teaches you to cook. It doesn't happen yeah you know you have to keep on practicing yeah. and so classes while they're great they're as important. an exposure sure totally um part of the, the process end, exactly at the end of the day i think you hit the perfect word which is practice you mm-hmm. just got to keep on doing it yeah, it's that and all these other elements mm-hmm. cool anything else you want to share uh as we sign off here Hmm. Well, I personally just want to say uh, thank you to you, Tony, for creating such a wonderful, I think, not even not even just a platform, but a community. You know, as I've gotten to know you in the past few years, you've always been so supportive of artists. So I think what you're doing with Brave Maker Podcast, thank the you. Brave Maker Film Fest, mm-hmm. I think it's so great. And I encourage anyone who's listening to this for the first time or anyone to just, you know, reach out to Tony and uh, ask him out for coffee because yeah. he, I've learned so much <laughs> from him. Um, and I and, think that's and, what and pay for the coffee. <laughs> yes, yes. He does not like milk. He likes soy. Um, uh, but yeah, just get, thanks, I think man. for the last thing I'll say, yeah, just get involved in the community. Mm-hmm. Just start doing it. You know, there's life is too short, and mm-hmm. if you enjoy doing it, no one, no one's gonna stop you. That's right. Yeah. 
So where can people find you? Where are your socials, your many, many socials? I am on Twitter if you're into uh, badly executed jokes. So you can follow, <laughs> if you're interested in that, you can follow me at uh, Irving Ruan. Um, it's full name on Twitter. Um, sometimes I'll do stupid things on Instagram, but not as much. I'm not too active on it, so I'm on there. But yeah, Twitter would probably be a good way. Uh, I do have a personal website if anyone's interested in reading my writing. But yeah, not too active on social. I just try to mostly focus on getting my work done um with that so and irving is really good by the way we'll put all his links in the show notes too irving is really good i'll i'll end with this and with a question i'll end with a statement he's really good at getting his work done by saying no to which i love this about you he said no to me a lot like i i'm always (laughs) asking people like hey you want to be a part of this or hey i can do this you know write you a thing he's like no 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 i really he's really focused on like my right your writing like so you know you want to be a writer and so you have to say no to all these other side project potential things that aren't going to be in line with what you're trying to get done, which I really admire. And it's super hard to say no to you because you're very <laughs> persuasive. <laughs> so as I said, I'm going to ask you a question to end here to put you on the spot. No, no pressure. But we talked at one point about you being a correspondent. So I want to put that invitation back out there. If you want to reach out to any of your other creative people and host a conversation with them that we could host on the Rave Maker podcast, that invitation is still there for you with, with no pressure. You could say no, but I know you've got some great people that you are in touch with who we would love to learn from. So if you want to you know, Skype interview them and send me the files, we'll edit it for you. No need to do that, but would love to have any of those people in your circle sharing their stories and knowledge for our listeners. I would definitely consider that for sure. And I'm not saying no. If I wanted to say no, I'd say it right now to your face. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You heard it here. He's considering. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast, everyone. Face your fears and make your work. Thanks so much. Brave Maker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend.